Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've waited for. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. Aces with Lovestock, picked up by Gray. She can go coast to coast. There's three, there's two. She's going to launch from three. Chelsea Gray for three. The TC Martin Show. Jackie's got it. Ace has got numbers three on two. To Plum for three. KP, ring it up. Boom, shaka, waka, waka, boom. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. TC Martin. To Bay. She's open for three. She sees it. She's got the bucket. One, two, three times for Bay Bay. TC Martin. And you got that right. Money won't change it. Raquana. Bay Bay Williams. Boom. This is the greatest show. The ball is in the air. The Las Vegas Aces have won their very first WNBA championship. The doctor is now in. Las Vegas, TC Martin here inside the Wind Trust Arena as we get ready for the Aces and the Chicago Sky here tonight. So yes, we are coming to you live from courtside here in Chicago for the next two hours. It is nonstop sports talk, giving you a live show, of live looking, and uh, getting ready for another big-time game for the Las Vegas Aces. They, this will be game number two of a four-game East Coast slash Midwest City road trip. And the victorious game, the record-setting game, which we'll talk a little bit more about today on the show uh, from Atlanta on Tuesday, where the Aces won 112 to 100. And Asia Wilson not only set a franchise mark of 53 points, but she also tied the mark by Liz Cambage, former member of the Las Vegas Aces, but Liz did not do it when she was part of the Aces. That was prior to when she was with the Dallas Wings. But Asia Wilson had 53 points on Tuesday night. Tying the WNBA record all time in the 27 years of existence. She's got 53. Liz Cambage has 53. And uh, Raquana Williams, member of the Aces as well, has the next high at 51. So what does that tell you about this organization? Even though Raquana Williams and Liz Cambage did not do it as members of the Aces, they both ended up with the Aces right after that. And Asia Wilson... The face of the franchise does it with the Aces. So, uh, very special night uh, on Tuesday night, and we'll see how that carries over uh, tonight. Got a chance to talk with a lot of the players after the game and then earlier today and getting their thoughts about it. And I thought it was interesting to get their take because they were on the court or they're on the bench. And, you know, they're part of that as well, too, for them to witness that. What was that like? And talking to Jackie Young a little bit earlier today, she was just saying, hey, it, it, it was amazing as everybody was with Asia and they were part of the countdown, you know, when she was approaching 41, uh, which would have broken the record that her and Kelsey Plum held at 40. And then after she got the 41, it was like, okay, what's next? Next thing you know, it's 43. Then it's 43, 45, 47. Wait a minute, 50's on the horizon. 50 got there. With 51, and then, well, could 53 or 54 or even more be there? But, again, that all happened within the last two minutes of the game. Credit Becky Hammond for uh, leaving her in and let her at least uh, tie the WNBA record because you never know 
when you're going to come to that moment again as a player or as a coach. Is it going to happen again? And think about this. For those that don't follow the WNBA on a regular basis, remember, it's a 40-minute game. All right? You have 10, four, you have four 10-minute quarters. So that's eight minutes less than an NBA game. And yes, you know, we've seen Kobe with an 81. Heck, we saw Wilt Chamberlain with 100 way back in the day. But we've seen a few 60-point games. And that's tremendous. But that's in 48 minutes. You put this into perspective. For Asia Wilson to score 53 points in a 40-minute game, it's unheard of. Whether you like the WNBA, you don't. You've got to respect it. It was the lead topic on Sports Center and every other national media outlet, as it should be. What Asia Wilson is doing is phenomenal. She's in her sixth year, number one overall pick out of South Carolina, face of this franchise, now literally the face of the WNBA. She already has over 3,500 points that she has scored. Put that in perspective. She hasn't even completed her sixth season. Over 3,500 points. The youngest to get there. Phenomenal. And for Las Vegas Aces fans or just Las Vegas sports fans to go to a game and see her play, it is something that you're going to remember for the rest of your life because she is that good. Not a flash in the pan. She just keeps getting better and better each and every year. And those of us who have seen it from day number one when she first signed, you feel kind of proud. You really do. Because as I've said numerous times, and if you listen to this show over the years, you hear on the show a lot, she is one of the most humble, down-to-earth people you will ever meet. And it was really cool after Tuesday night's game to be there with her dad, who was so proud, and uh, to celebrate. And if you listen to the broadcast going back to Saturday when we had the home game, I had her mom on. It was her birthday, so I had her on at halftime. And we talked a lot about being Asia's mom and what it's like with, you know, Asia growing up. And, you know, when did you first notice that, you know, hey, she might have a shot to play in this league? And she said it wasn't until South Carolina, probably until her junior year. But even though she was the number one pick, and granted, great pick by Bill Lambeer, the first pick ever in the Las Vegas Aces franchise history. Kudos. And speaking of that, Jackie Young was the number one pick the following year. Kudos to Bill Lambier for doing that because a lot of us, including myself, question that pick. Like, mm, you don't want to go Ariki Ogumbawali? I mean, she's the big-time scorer. But no, nailed it with Asia Wilson and Jackie Young. And you put that in there with when the franchise was in San Antonio before they moved to Vegas the year before, 2017, the number one overall pick? Kelsey Plum. <laughs> so you have three number one picks back to back to back years, three years in a row. Pretty special. It's a special team. They're going for a record tonight. They win. They'll get the 30th victory. That's the most in WNBA history. The mark was, is 29 and four. That was a 34 season regular season game a few years back, 2014 to be exact. And the Phoenix Mercury have that record of 29 wins. Obviously, it'll be eclipsed. Great chance it'll be eclipsed tonight with the Aces' 30th victory as they're currently 29-4 right now. So, big time, 
game, big time uh, rest of the regular season, and again, big time performance by Asia Wilson on Tuesday night. And on every, any given night, you never know who it could be. It could be Asia. It could be K- KP. It could be Chelsea Gray. It could be Jackie Young. And we've seen these moments. So if you're following this team, hey, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not following them yet, please watch this team. Go to games. Watch them on TV. Listen on the radio. Uh, listen to the interviews that that I have with them all the time. It's 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 great, and they are great people. You know, every team at any level, from NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. This kind of goes on and on. Professional soccer. You always have a couple people on a team that it's like, uh, you know, how do they fit in? You know, they don't come across, you know, like they want to be involved, whether it's, you know, doing media, not doing media, or just maybe they're not great teammates. And you hear stories usually, you know, from the camps or after they leave, you know, they were nightmares. You don't have that on this team. You don't have it. And if you do have it, then those players are usually gone. They're traded or um, they're not re-signed as free agents. But this core group is special. And it's uh, so special that, uh, you know, they're going to the White House, you know, tomorrow. We're going to the White House, uh, and be, and we'll, the team will be celebrated for their 2022 championship last year. We'll meet with the vice president, Kamala Harris, and a very special moment for all of these players, staff, coaches, uh, everybody to go to the White House and uh, and go through that. You know, whatever your political views are, I mean, doesn't matter. Throw that out the window. It's it's a bucket list situation that not uh, every athlete or coach or staff member gets to go through, and you got to cherish that. So it's a busy time. It's a busy road trip. Atlanta on Tuesday, Chicago here tonight, White House tomorrow, Washington Mystics on the road on Saturday, and then Monday the rematch again with the New York Liberty. And that'll be special as well too, before the aces come home for, or the last homestand pretty much. And then they'll go to Phoenix for their final road game. Then they'll close it out at T-Mobile arena on the final regular season game, uh, which will be cool for fans to watch an aces game at T-Mobile arena. And that uh, will be the regular season. Right now the aces are clinging to a three game lead for best record in the WNBA number one seed home court advantage throughout and Monday's game against the Liberty, who's currently number two, that's going to play big. So, all right. So plenty of Aces stuff here today. All right. Uh, also want to touch on a very sad note. Um, got the word yesterday that Terry Funk died. And for those of you that are not wrestling fans, even if you're not wrestling fans, you know who Terry Funk is. You should. Terry Funk was one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He was 79 years old. He's had dementia for the last several years. This comes on the heels of the Iron Sheik passing away less than two months ago. Very sad time. Uh, And for me personally, very sad time because I talked at length when the Sheik passed away, uh, what he meant to me, and Terry Funk was right there. Those were two guys that were involved in my promotion going back in the 90s and the NWC and Las Vegas fans know all about that. Uh, so many people have reached out to me in the last 24 hours or so and you know, talking about those great matches that Terry Funk was in at the Silver Nugget, at the Aladdin. Terry Funk 
not only a great wrestler, but a close friend. He was just a phenomenal human being. And I can tell you just at that point in time, Terry Funk was in his 50s. And he was still working. And he was still doing the crazy matches that I asked him to do from the Branding Iron match, which is legendary with him and Virgil. Um, the chain match with Sabu and Terry Funk. Uh, Battle Royals, um, and so many others. And he was such a leader to the younger guys who were just coming up in our organization as well, too, being a mentor. Fantastic on the microphone, fantastic in front of the camera, and just a great guy. And he was so dependable. That's all I can say. His wife, Vicky, passed away four years ago. She was fantastic. She was always by his side. The Double Cross Ranch in Amarillo, Texas. One of my favorite guys, Terry Funk. One of the greatest wrestlers of all time. One of the greatest personalities of all time. And you know that you have a tremendous wrestler when he is billed as a heel. But he turns into a babyface and a crowd favorite. And if you were at those matches back in the day, going back to the mid-90s, late-90s at the Silver Nugget, you know what I'm talking about. Or if you're back in Sacramento or other or other areas that we toured with the NWC, you know what I'm talking about. Terry Funk, phenomenal. So may he rest in peace. Sad news yesterday that he died at age of 79. Let's go to the phones. Talk to my tag team partner for the back in those days, Big Al Lorenz. Big Al, what's going on, my friend? laid it out any better. My sentiments exactly 1,000%. I mean, this guy, this is not just a, you know, I mean, the Sheik was an icon. Terry, in his own way, was an icon also to our to our profession. It was unbelievable. He was an unbelievable talent, an unbelievable worker, a great person in and out of the ring. He sold every spot. He made sure if he, whoever you wanted to get over got over. He was great with the crowd. He always incited the crowd, even though, like you said, he ended up being a baby face and a crowd favorite. He always managed to incite the crowd, and it was just, I'm, I'm, I'm really, a, a, I really don't have too much more to say about that because he, he was, like I said, he was a, not only a great to you and, and great to the promotion, he was great to me, you know, picking him up at the airport every now and then. Him and Miss Vicky, it was just, it was just awesome. He was just, a, he was just an awesome person, period. And those are the kind of people you can never replace. You spent a lot of time with him too. I mean, as you know, you and I were side by side through all of the ventures with that, and uh, I know how much he meant to you as well too, and all those guys that, that were in our promotion, and you know, going back with the Sheik stories, and and now with Terry Funk. But that was one guy, Al. That, and again, I'm sure there's there's things that you can probably you know, speak on or remember um, that I may have slipped my mind, but I, I remember, you know, the first time bringing him in and he saw what we were doing and you can make a testament to this. He was blown away and he said, I want to be part of this. I mean, what you got going here is, is phenomenal. And he like, kind of stepped up as that team captain, the same way that kind of Cactus Jack did. And, you know, 
I remember the time, you know, you know, picking them up, you, you know, you picking them up, we picking them up, whoever picked them up at the airport, you know, I, I, we talked the story about Cactus and he's got all these burns on him. It's like, what happened? I was in a firebomb bo- match last night. Same thing with Terry Funk. I mean, he would come up all bandaged up and everything. He goes, no, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. What do you need me to do? How long do you need me to go? You need me to go 60? You need me to go 45? No, no, I need you to go about 20 or 30. That's okay. Oh, no, no, I'll give you 45. I'll go, I'll go, I'll give you an hour if you need it. 60 minute time limit. That's who he was. And then doing the interviews. And again, you were in that spot along with Bill Anderson that, you know, you would do the promos with him. And again, just phenomenal. The, the doctor's office segments that we used to do with me. And I still remember that where, you know, he took to me with a branding iron. He laid you out one night with a branding iron at ringside. I mean, there's just so many yes, stories. He, so he, gonna... laid me out. He, he laid <laughs> yes, me out. Yes, I'm going to turn it over to you. That was the infamous branding iron match. You can get it on Total <laughs> Chaos, too. And, and, and that was totally impromptu. I had no idea it was coming. And all of a sudden, he turns the corner after 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 going through a table and pile driving Virgil on the floor, and he turns the corner and he wants to try to grab the ring bell from me, believe it or not, and he lets me have it and just laid me out and and you could remember how how much heat and how much unbelievable how the how the crowd just took to him and, and I mean they knew he was an icon when he first stepped into the NWC. He had already made a reputation for himself in Florida and all across the world. I mean, the craziest matches ever in, in Japan, there was no doubt that the Funkster was involved with him. Sure. You know, you talk about Mick and, and Cactus Jack being in, being involved in those kind of matches, and, and, and Terry was right in, the, right in the mix, too. No, one of the best, and like I said, one of the best human beings as well, too, and just a, a privilege to work with him, privilege to know him, and again, those times outside of the ring, whether they're, you know, eating meals, drinking, back in the locker room, uh, back at the hotel, on the road together, uh, just phenomenal. You know, one of a kind. And as we know, you know, just like just like athletes. I mean, you, you don't have everyone isn't that way. No, absolutely not. And I'm gonna t- I'm gonna tell you a quick story. You talk yep. about picking him and Vicky up at the airport. He got in early one time, and there was, uh, and I forget who else was coming. I, I think it was I think it was the Anvil coming from Fort Lauderdale. And we were we were both going to meet up at the same time. We're all, you know, and you know, just wait around five or ten minutes difference in flight. And you went over to go, you went over to go meet Anvil inside inside McCarran. And Terry and I and Vicky are sitting in the car, are sitting in the car waiting for you to guy come back with the Anvil. And he's talking about business deals. He goes, right. Al, I got one of the best business deals we could ever do. I said, What's that, Terry? What do you got? He goes, He goes. <laughs> We'll put Santa Clauses in all the Walmarts <laughs> at Christmas time. I remember this. He goes, yes. I got a, he goes, I got a guy that can make the suits. He goes, we'll, we'll hire, we'll hire guys, you know, we'll hire like, you know, people that are either unemployed in the neighborhood or in the area and we'll put them in Walmart to play Santa Claus. We'll make a killing. <laughs> that was Terry Funk. The total, total package when it came to marketing, business, Funk you. Everybody's got a Funk you T-shirt, correct? Correct. I mean, yeah. Jesus. Correct. And if you if you, do, if you don't have one, then you're not a wrestling fan. Let's call a spade a spade. I mean, this guy between him and well, his dad originally, Dory, and then Dory Senior. I mean, they were a tag team for the for the, a long time, and then Terry went out on his own, and then unfortunately, towards the end of his career, he got misused, in my opinion. You know, they call him Chain. 
some chainsaw Charlie or something. What are you doing? Yeah. He's Terry Funk. <laughs> period. You don't, enough said. You don't have to say anything else. The guy was a living legend. Period. Yep. Uh, great I don't know point. what else I can say. Doc. I mean, we had. I mean, this guy spoke for himself when he was on. When you build him on the card, and unfortunately, the one of the most wild matches we've ever had in the NWC. He was still in Japan doing his fire matches, and he couldn't make the. The steel cage war with the, with the, when we had four guys in, you had to put Mr. Hughes in there instead. But, but boy, oh boy, can you imagine the heat that would have happened if he was in there instead of Mr. Hughes? Oh my God. That I was, can't uh, even, I can't even think, I can't even think of that. Yeah. It was, it was, it was Sabu, yeah. Cactus Jack, uh, yeah. Virgil, and, uh, and, and like you said, Terry was supposed to be on that, but he, he couldn't make it back in time with flight troubles and Mr. Hughes, Volunteered, right? I believe that was the that was the. Uh, that's exactly what ha- that's yeah. exactly what happened. We we had it all laid out. I mean, it was a perfect. You know, and, and Terry was supposed to be able to get away. He couldn't make his connection flight, and and he he just he just couldn't make the card. And it was and he it, felt it horrible, and, that, and and that's the kind of guy that he was. And he felt horrible oh, about absolutely. it. Absolutely, absolutely. He's calling us from Japan. We're saying that's okay. We we got you, and uh, you know, don't worry about it. And then you know, he says, "Hey, I'll, I'll be back next month." So. No, he was one of the best. How about uh, the way? How about the way he reacted? How about the, the way he reacted when you came? When you came with the greatest battle royal of all time? <laughs> Go ahead. Did you see? I mean, the way he sold it. The way he sold. You know, we we introduce all the all the inter, You know, and everybody's getting into the ring for the battle royal. All the guys up the ladder, and then all of a sudden, here's T on the microphone in house saying, "Wait a second, we have one more contestant." And I'm on the air, and I'm on the air doing the TV saying, wait a second, you know, I've got my roster here of all the guys, and I'm looking around, and they're all in the ring, and all of a sudden, little Tokyo's music strikes up. <laughs> I was stunned. I almost fell off my chair. I couldn't believe it. I'm, I was questioning your, I was questioning your sanity more than anything else, <laughs> saying, how can you put a 98-pound midget in the ring with we had two seven footers at the time. <laughs> That's true. We had two guys over four hundred pounds. It was, they were all in the ring. The dog. It was just crazy. It was just absolutely crazy. There was so much heat when Little Tokyo's music strikes up, and the crowd went wild. It was. It was one. It was one of my favorite. One of my favorite nights of of NWC action of all time. Great memories. Uh, great matches uh, that we have. And again. The guys that uh, we're talking about were, were the centerpieces of that, and they weren't just, you know, Renda guys. These guys were all in um, with the promotion. They were all in, uh, and like I said, not only were they regulars there just about every month, but uh, they were there doing the television show, doing the promos, doing the interviews, and then they were leaders, you know, just, you know, and I, and I think of Navajo Kid, and I think of some of the, the, the uh, young and up-and-coming guys, just Psycho Johnny Payne, you know, who we've on, had on the show, and he talks about what the Sheik meant to him, what Terry Funk meant to him, what Cactus Jack, what Sabu meant to him, and Rob Van Dam has spoke on this show so many times about, you know, he was an up-and-comer as well, and what these guys meant to him, and this is what these guys did. A la Terry Funk, they were leaders and mentors of uh, our younger wrestlers as well, too. It was a great group. He was, he was, an, great memories. He was an amazing individual, yeah. amazing individual team. And, and like I said, you're, you're, you're very lucky if you ever meet one of those or two of those kind of people in your life. And I'm going on, I'm 
pushing 70 myself, and I've been very, very, very fortunate and blessed to have known not only the Sheik, but Terry as well. You know, and, and it, there's not there's not words to describe his passing. You hope he's in a better place now, and we know he is. And you know he's there with Vicky now, who's the love of his life. And and she came on every every trip, every trip from Amarillo. He came when he was coming from home. You know, if he was on the road coming, you know, obviously, obviously Vicky couldn't make it. But you know, if he was coming back from the far east, or he was booked someplace else, but. I can remember sitting down in the office with you, T, too, when, when he would, like, send you, this is this is where I'm booked. I'm, I'm booked. These three, you know, whatever days you have open, I'll take them. And here's, here's like, a three months where I'm booked. And that's the, that's the kind of guy he was. He, he just wanted to be there and be a part of it. He loved the crowd. He loved Las Vegas. He loved the, the fans inside the Silver Nugget, how up close and personal everybody was. He was able to rabble-rouse them. He was able to incite them. He was able to create heat that you wouldn't believe any any a guy like him could create. And like you said, T, he was 52 years old. Exactly. So, exactly. Was the, so was the Sheik at that matter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like you say, you took the, took the young guys under his wing. You forgot you forgot the thug, how to be a heel, things like that. I mean, boy, oh, boy. I mean, it's just... You know, he was just a he was just a pleasure, a pleasure when we had a chance to when we had a chance to lock him up to come to Vegas. Mm -hmm. uh, great thoughts, great memories, my man. I really appreciate you uh, giving your thoughts because he meant as much uh, to you as he did to me, and uh, just appreciate your thoughts and 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 I think everyone who has either been involved with the business or even if you're not, you even watch Terry Funk perform just as a fan. Whether it was saw him on TV or went to an arena, yeah, he should be in in your hearts and your memories, uh, especially today after passing away yesterday. Well, you know, he's the, he's the most he's the most known commodity in Amarillo, Texas, and you know what's second? <laughs> the Big Texan. Absolutely correct. So, <laughs> I'm going to smile. I'm going to smile about Amarillo because the Big Texan, the Big Texan, the 96 ounce steak that they bring you with all the trimmings. And the one time I drove through Amarillo on my way to Vegas, I only left the tip, my friends. <laughs> so Big Al but, devoured uh, it exactly, uh, and and it went down. It went down nice and smooth. So, uh, hey, you're in Chicago. Did you pick up any Cub memorabilia while you're there? Uh, no, I did not pick any uh, you, uh, any Cub memorabilia yet. But tickets yet? Uh, uh, no. Did you get your playoff <laughs> tickets yet? Hey, three three games out right now. I mean, holy cow! Hey, you know how I feel about this city, just like you. I mean, I love this place, and uh, I'm rooting for those Cubbies. You know, they're definitely a dark horse, and probably still a little bit of a dark horse, but uh, they're getting it done. And uh, how cool would that be just to make the postseason? So, uh, uh, hey, we gotta I'm, find, I'm a, I'm we a gotta North, North Sider at heart, just like you, my friend. Just like you, my friend. Yeah, I grew up on the South Side, unfortunately, <laughs> and took all the abuse of the Sox fans. But that's okay. <laughs> I mean, all those years that they were terrible, we had we had a little fun in '69, and then we didn't. We had to wait to '84 to get better. But mm. you know, those were those are the heartbreak years. But you know, 2016 obviously made it all better. But uh, boy, oh boy, you know. Uh, you know, I'm just glad. I'm happy for Rossi. I'm I'm happy for the organization. They're playing great ball, and you know, if they we need they need to 
They need to find a frontline pitcher for September. If they could find one, I, I could at least pencil in a wild card. I hope. Hey, you know, next can... week's the big. Next week's the big yeah. week. They got the. They got seven games. Seven games with the people around them. Three, three with Milwaukee. Four with Cincinnati. So, the proof will be in the pudding. All right, brother. Hey, appreciate the time uh, today. Thanks for checking in, brother. Man, appreciate the memories about the. Oh, any time, any any time, T. You know, especially especially when you lose an icon, when you lose an icon like that, you know, a ten bell salute doesn't 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 pay justice to his mark and legacy in the wrestling industry. Mm-hmm. All right, Big Al. Thanks, man. Talk to you, T. <sighs> Tough segment to do, but you know we've been through this so many times, and we're losing icons and close personal friends but again we're smiling while we're talking about terry funk smiles it's sad you know to lose him but the memories will live forever terry funk passes away at 79 now more of your favorite personal sports physician doesn't sound like the usual mindless boring chit chat it's the dr tc martin Here on this Thursday afternoon, and uh, we are live from Chicago, the Wind Trust Arena, as we get ready for the Aces in the Chicago sky. And uh, you know, during that opening segment, you know, we're talking about the the passing of the legendary wrestler Terry Funk, a close friend, uh, and talking about Asia Wilson's performance the last game. Didn't get a chance really to set up the show for you here today. So, like we told you, we are here at the Wind Trust Arena, getting ready for tonight's game, which will go at 5 p.m. Pacific time. Pre-game show right down the dial at 4:30. Jackie Young and Becky Hammond will be joining me. Also today on the show, Chris Basio scheduled to join us, the former Cubs pitching coach, and uh, he will be joining us. We'll talk a little Major League Baseball because we have plenty of Major League Baseball news to talk about uh, today as well. Scott Spritzer will join us next hour, and also. Matthew Holt from U.S. Integrity. So, jam-packed show coming your way. Non-stop sports talk to the 4 o'clock hour in Vegas. But joining me now is uh, my seatmate who's been here uh, every time I've come to Chicago here. And I said, you know, I'm going get, to get you on the show. So why not now a better time uh, to join us, the Chicago Sun-Times' very own, all right, Annie Costable. I, I, I butchered it. Way to go. No, you did, got it so did, right. Did I get it right? You got it so right. Nobody ever gets it right on the Custable. first shot. I mean, Nobody Custable. Nobody ever gets it right on the first That's, shot. That sounds Constable. Like a, it, Costabile. <laughs> no whatever. way. It's like they, they, it's like garbage coming out of people's <laughs> mouths. It sounded spectacular coming Thank out you. of yours. See, I just, man, uh, high five. There high five. There we love it, it. I love it. I love it too. So let me, now let me try to extend my streak since I'm one for one. Yeah. Uh... Greek? Italian? No, oh my God! My family would be so pissed right now. Oh, We're no. Italian. Uh, I started Italian. to say Italian. What? In what way does this look Greek to you? I said Italian. I just got, I got to I got to I got to reverse. TC, I gotta go. Italiano, paisan. Go. I'm Italian and Irish. Shout out to my Italian father and my it. Irish mother. We're just. I knew that. Um, yeah, we're just a lovely bunch. I, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I went to Paisano's last night. 
Paisanos, man. What interesting, interesting. Don't like it? No, there's, I don't, oh my God. All my Chicago Shout bar- out to Paisanos. Uh, I didn't mean that to sound uh, like uh, shit. I, <laughs> I got plenty of, uh, great pizza places that I love to go to or Italian spots. So, um, well, yeah, they're let's all go great. on the foodie is fire away. I'll make a list. I'll make a list. Okay. But honestly, this one that I got to throw out on, uh, yeah, live right now is Nardi's in Addison where I grew oh. up. It's been around since my, my family was growing up and it's phenomenal. It's so good. Shout out to Nardi's. We got it in high school. They literally catered like high school events and they're still there. It's just phenomenal pizza. If you're in the Northwest suburbs, Nardi's, Addison, Illinois. It's actually called Nardi's Tower of Pizza. I love this because she speaks <laughs> with so much conviction. You know, conviction. I mean, I mean you sound like me when it, when it comes to food. Today. I don't say things unless I mean them. Listen, right. I don't say them unless I mean them. Are you a foodie? I'm a bit of a foodie, but I'm a, also a Libra. So, like, I I start to second guess things. You know what I'm saying? Okay. It's like if someone asks me on the spot, like, what, uh, where, where should we go to dinner? I'm gonna put my hands up and be like, I can't, I can't do this. Uh, not me. Don't ask me. Really? But like in my mind, yeah. I know where I would go by myself. You gotta with no speak, pressure. girl. You gotta I know, speak out. I know. It's just like that. that You're in the media. Come moment on. Of um, it only only when it comes to food do I second guess my opinions. Wow. Listen, when it comes to sports, I stick by them. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I love it. I love it. So everyone's always asking me, you know, when I go to these different, you know, cities, they they don't care about game posts. They want my food posts. Oh, wow. So especially when I come to Chicago. So today, and I get a chance to hit this at at the top of the show, uh, but my producer is back in the studio, Uh Numchuck. He's going to want to know where I went for lunch today. So I got a tip from a guy here in the building. Okay. One of our building guys. I said, I need to get some lunch. Where do I go? He goes, you got to go to Reggie's. Okay. Have you been to Reggie's? I, d- I haven't been to Reggie's, yeah. so I'm looking at you like, huh? Where's yeah. Reggie's? Where even okay. is okay. Reggie's? Well, Reggie's is about four blocks over on State Street. Okay. Okay. It's walkable in in a, in a 101 degree heat to it. I'm going to get yeah, your take listen, about that here no. in a minute. There's a reason my hair is pulled back. <laughs> I've got no makeup on my face and yeah, no, it's too hot. Okay. So Reggie's is, is like this classic rock and roll joint. Okay. You go in, it's dark, it's dimly lit. And uh, a lot of the who's who, classic rock guys and the, the up and coming rock guys, they perform there. It's it looks like your total hole in the wall, but the food that. is always great. And you got the the rock and roll pumping in there in the middle of the day. So let me just tell you how I walk in. So first of all, I walk in and they got that got rooftop uh-huh. up there and they got like three levels. And I walk in and I actually actually walk through the wrong door and I find myself like walking behind the bar uh-huh. and the bartender looks at me like a uh, wrong me, door. Sarah, yeah. Say, okay. Okay. Take the door next door. There you go. And I go, Hey, uh, here's our, our opening line. I said, uh, never been here before. I go, what's the rooftop all about? She goes, well, rooftop is cool. It's up there. She goes, but it's in the sun. And she goes, it's hot as balls today. Oh my God. That's what I got right there. So that, that, that tells you about Reggie's right there. I said, okay, you're direct. You're right to the point. And, uh, I said, I'll stay. I'll stick inside, had the burger, and they won me over with the hand-cut fries. Love it. See, no frozen fries. You have to have the hand-cut fries for me. I'm I'm in agreement with you there. there I go. will say, though, when it comes to lunch in Chicago, you can't go wrong with a sandwich, and you can't go wrong with a sandwich from Lucia's on Look North Avenue in Bucktown neighborhood. It's been there since the 90s. The best sandwich in town. No joke. You got to get a Yale special with um, a side of chips. I mean, or a bag of chips. Like, what else do you need to go with? 
this up is the bag of chips. So go to Lucia's yeah. North Avenue yeah. in Bucktown. Get the Yale special. I promise yeah. you could thank me later. My DMs are open. <laughs> you got me covered for lunch and dinner. Yeah. This is perfect. They've got, Why they've didn't got we talk earlier? Too. They got pasta too. So you could stick around for dinner. They've oh. got a whole like... Um, uh, banquet type of room where, yeah, you could get dinner, you could get uh, a standard pasta dinner, whatever, whatever you're craving. They've got it. I'm just saying their lunch, their sandwiches can't go wrong. I appreciate that. All right. Yeah. Look at that. Annie Costable. That's my name. Don't wear it out. <laughs> she comes through big time with uh, Chicago food. I love it. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing here in Chicago. You yeah. do a fantastic job uh, with the Sun-Times covering the Bulls, covering Major League Baseball, covering everything here. Uh, let's. Who, who's your Who's your choice? As you know, you're Chicagoan. You're either a North Side or a South Sider when it comes Cubs or White Sox. Who are you? Oh, gosh. No question. Yeah. White Sox till I die. Really? I grew up watching the White Sox with my family. My dad was a diehard White Sox fan. I, I think my – no, I do – I know. My first sporting event was a White Sox game, and it was with my dad and my mom when I was just, like, a baby. And my brother, too, was there, but, you know. It's okay. I'm just joking. <laughs> My brother was there. I mean that positively. <laughs> Anyways, um, but now that like I'm in sports journalism, I don't go hard for any team, but right. the White Sox, without question were a team that sparked my my sports fandom and then also the Bulls like you can't grow up in the Chicago area and not have grown up you know inspired by the Bulls Dennis Rodman was an icon in my house like every game my grandma would flip on we'd get home we'd go into my grandma's like little living room and I'd be sitting there and I'm like oh my god I can't wait to see what color Dennis's hair is today or like I can't wait to see what he's wearing like I was so inspired by Dennis Rodman so the Bulls and the White Sox for sure inspired my career, but now covering the WNBA, like, um, there's nothing like it. I, I take my job as the Sky Beat reporter so, so seriously, and I love getting to cover the Bulls and, and Major League Baseball when opportunities arise in the uh, WNBA offseason, but man... I am. I. I, I want to be. I want to be the go-to source for everything Chicago Sky from here on out. Like when oh. you need a piece of news, you know you're coming to Annie C. She's got it. Annie C.'s got it going on. Uh, back to the Dennis Rodman thing. So, yeah. did you mirror what Dennis did with his hair? I mean, would you go the, those color routines yourself? No, absolutely not. My mom wouldn't let me dye my hair <laughs> until I was probably um, God. I want to say like 15 or 16 was when she mm -hmm. she let me dye my hair. But Dennis, like his uh, in individualism you know i'm not saying i i mirrored it by any means but he was for sure a staple who set a standard of like be who you want to be like i'm not saying that i have ever had the style that uh, iconic style that dennis has and has had but seeing a person like that an individual like that express themselves that way for sure let me know like hey you could grow up and express yourself any type of way you want so yeah i would say dennis for sure has inspired my my um my choices my life choices pretty cool <laughs> pretty cool all right, so let's talk a little WNBA. I'm yeah. sure you are well aware of what took place with our Las Vegas Aces two nights ago in Atlanta. Oof. So give me your thoughts about Asia Wilson's performance as you see it from afar with her scoring 53 points and tying the WNBA record. I mean, listen, it's we're seeing just indescribable greatness. Like I'm, you're, you're looking at me here. I'm struggling to come up with the words and we're seeing this MVP race happen between a lot of people want to say Stewie and Asia are, are the front runners and that there's, you know, 
that that makes complete sense. But then you got AT in the mix too. And so when you have a player like Asia put on a performance like she does and do it, I mean, I don't want to say it was effortless because Asia works so hard. Like she talks about how hard she works and she also talks about how hard her teammates work. So it obviously took a lot of effort, but she puts up 53 points and it's just, it's like she's, she's just writing her name in pen in, in the MVP, you know, on, on the ballot. Like she's, every time there's a moment where you're like, who's going to get it? I feel like Asia has a performance that, solidifies her name there a little bit more and a little bit more. So obviously there's a few or a week and a half left in the season. So you can't make a decision like that until every game's mm-hmm. been played, especially when a, the race is so close. But <laughs> Asia's doing what what no player or, or she's she's setting records, but then so are Stu and AT. So it's just so hard. But again, the 53-point performance, I mean, speechless, mm-hmm. speechless. Mm-hmm. She's an icon. If you have a vote... Who's your vote if it season ended today? If the season ended today, I'd be voting for Asia Wilson. There Again, you go. That's the, my girl. Annie um, C. We've got go. seven Love games it. left in the season. So I, I'm saying that now, if the season ended today, my mm-hmm. vote would be going for Asia Wilson. But um, I think that, again, every game's got to be played. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I think. And we've had this conversation. And I do have a vote, by the way. Of course you do. That's why I said <laughs> that. Um, I had this conversation with some New York people was going back a couple weeks ago when they were in, in town, we were playing the Liberty in those two games and um, the debate, you got Alyssa Thomas, like you mentioned, AT for, for Connecticut, but it really seems like it's kind of, you know, maybe because of the marketing situation or whatever it is, the all-star team captains and the rivalry that we've seen with Brianna Stewart and Asia Wilson. It seems like, you know, most of the media are focusing on those two here. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that kind of gets swept under the rug a little bit is what Asia Wilson does defensively. She mm-hmm. is the reigning defensive player of the year. And she'll tell you, like she's told me numerous times going back to last year, that award means more to her than anything else. And I think if you're going to factor that in, in what she means to this team from a defensive standpoint, you have to factor that into the MVP race because the Aces really don't have that eraser or that that big down low. I mean, Asia has to guard everybody's best big night in and night out, and she gets beat up. She gets mm-hmm. physically beat up night in and night out, and she continues to perform offensively and defensively. No, I'm not arguing with you. I mean, yeah. we're like I said, we're seeing a player do things that we've never seen done before. And I, I like that argument you made about, um, you know, defense not being maybe factored in or, or kind of thought about secondary, because I think that's kind of what's factoring into AT being forgotten a little bit is like, she's not putting up the same numbers like Asia is or the same numbers like Stewie is. She's doing it in a different way, mm-hmm. right? She's setting records in um, triple doubles. Tri- right. um, and so they might not be as explosive of numbers, but you don't do that unless you're a player who's succeeding at all levels, right? right. So um, listen, you're not going to get a gonna get an argument from me when it comes to Asia Wilson and what she means to this um, Las Vegas Aces team, especially when you consider, you know, they've been operating without Candace Parker now. So Asia, Asia's everything to the Aces team. There's a reason they extended her. There's a reason they've got her there for years to come. You know, like she's, she's everything. She's the face of the league. And anybody that says otherwise is clearly, um, clearly wrong. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
clearly just flat out wrong. How much do you miss Candace Parker? Not only just Ooh. what she means to this team, she was a key factor in winning the championship in 2021, but covering her as well. Yeah, you know what? I've got to say, like, deeply. <laughs> um, because what Candace brought wasn't just, um, obviously, the excellence on the court, but in terms of being a traditional beat reporter, the W doesn't have traditional beat reporters covering every team. Like myself and Kareem Copeland from the Washington Post are the only two beat reporters that travel to every game with the team. And we know that that um, the W is growing, that the media dynamic within the W is changing. And there's a lot of like push and pull there, right? Like we've got a team like the Sky, for example, who for the last two years have been at the top of the heap. Um, it was a brief moment. They were there for two years and now look at, you know, they're out of playoff contention for now. Um, we'll see what happens. But that comes with a lot of kind of like tension. And I'm not saying tension in a bad way. I'm not saying tension shouldn't be in sports like it's okay to disagree with the media it's okay for the players not to like to see you every day whatever but what I miss about Candace is like just her ultimate professionalism like she she got that side of it you know there was never something like if you wrote something if you write something if you say something if it's accurate and you could stand on it like you're not going to have a problem there and so I think that that's something again as a beat reporter I miss having that kind of energy around um and also you know she she <laughs> provided a plethora of stories to tell every single day because she grew up in Naperville you know she's from here and yeah, she she provided no shortage of attention and interest and so covering a player like that also I'm not going to lie. It, it, it adds to your career, right? Like sure. I knew while she was here, all eyes were on our coverage because all eyes were on Candace and we were the only outlet covering every day, 24 seven. So it was a pride thing too, for me, like being able to cover um, an icon like that and, and a legend and a future hall of famer. So we, I, I can definitely say I miss, I miss covering a player like that every single day. I mean, obviously got to talk to her before um, she got injured, but um, for sure. It's, it's a whole. How important was it to her, how she come across when she returned, where she came to Chicago to play for the sky here? Because like you said, she was coming back home. How much did that mean to her playing here in front of these fans? You know what? I will reference Dwayne, a quote Dwayne Wade gave me about it. Um, I, I was writing a story going into year two. So last year, and it, it was like setting up what her, what's her legacy going to be, right? She had won the championship, whether they won back to back or not. Like, what is Candace Parker's legacy going to be? And he was like, she did, like, he, he brought up what LeBron did going back to Cleveland and, and winning the championship. Like, very, very few people do that. But what Candace did is like, she did it after people wrote her off. Like, people forget that, that, um, those last few years in, in LA were, janky like they were weird people were like saying all kinds of things about Candace like and even you know everything that happened with Derek Fisher like benching her um in the final minutes of uh I'm blanking on what game it was but like she 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 got to come back and win a championship in front of her home crowd like who who does that very few people get an opportunity to do that and then even when you get an opportunity to do it very few people succeed at actually doing it so i think um again as an outside observer from those two years she she took extreme pride in again from my vantage point she it seemed like 
was honored to represent the team in her hometown. And she was very close to, to being drafted by this guy. They had the number two pick when she was drafted. Um, there's ways that they could have gotten that number one pick, but I think Candace, I mean, she said she wanted, um, uh, to get away from home before ever thinking about coming back. So everything happened as it should, but no, her two years, um, there's no question she took extreme pride in putting on a sky jersey and bringing, look at, we're sitting under the championship. Like she, right. without Candace Parker, that championship is not here. No question. It's not here. And yeah. anybody that says otherwise is just factually incorrect. <laughs> incorrect. And of course, it took Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley being here for Candace to even entertain the idea of coming here. But she was the missing piece. Hmm. She was the voice. She was the presence. She also, you know, was the player that they needed um, to bring that championship here. What was the feeling when she did not resign here and then you got the news that, hey, she was signing with the Aces? Oh, God. Wow, we're, we're going down memory lane here. Um, so obviously reporting on the situation, I knew going into things that the Aces, the Sparks, and the Sky were the three teams she was meeting with. I knew early that the Sparks were not really a strong candidate. So in my mind, again, like having had conversations with her um, prior to, I was thinking, okay, well, it's not going to be the Aces. How could it be the Aces? Like, I just didn't. I, I don't know if I was being naive, really? but I was you like, rule, you ruled out the chance. I did. I, because I was like, um, at that point, Courtney still hadn't, you know, signed, Sloot still hadn't signed in New York. So I was like, maybe they are all going to come back. And I think that was a bit naive of me. Cause I was thinking, I was thinking from a selfish standpoint of like, I want to cover another like, <laughs> uh, championship run. Yeah. And I also just, it was before Dierka had been traded. So I just wasn't seeing it. And then when it happened, um, I mean, it made it made sense. Like the champions are going after a repeat title, you go big. And um, I think when Candace said about you know wanting to be treated like the pro she is, that made sense because obviously the Sky still have a lot of work to do to create a professional environment here, um, one comparable to the Aces at least. And then um, also the proximity to Los Angeles and the importance of her family. That's that's not just something she says. Her family's everything to her. So um, it 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 made sense when I once I took my <laughs> my um, hope that I was going to cover another championship. Andy Costable joins us from the Chicago Sun Times. Before I let you go, yeah, are you old school paper? delivery or he's an online person i mean what, what what what's the dynamics here in chicago how many people still get old school newspapers delivered to their front porch my family does i mean go. i pick up the paper i like to go out and get it like i like to go out and get it from um the gas station or the store like with my coffee in the morning and it's funny because i actually was just in washington and kareem copeland who i mentioned previously yeah. i was like oh i gotta get a paper to see how he covered you know the right. same game but from the mystic standpoint and so i was walking out of the plane with the washington post in my hand and someone goes Oh man, you're old school. You got the paper. And I was like, what? The pa like my grandma hoarded the newspaper. Like wow, she had stacks of newspapers on our kitchen table and on her coffee table. And I do the same. Like I have newspapers all over my house, all over my house. So definitely old school. I love holding that copy in my hand and I love seeing like how, how different it looks than the digital copy because right. it always does. Uh, I can vouch she is not 68 years old. And <laughs> 32. <is> <laughs> 32, baby. <laughs> All right. Quick preview. What's happening tonight? 
Give it to me. We've got the aces in the sky, and listen, the, the sky are desperate for a playoff spot. It would Good. be their fifth straight, first in franchise history, um, appearing in the playoffs for five straight years, but the aces are just too mighty. Aces are getting this one. Ooh. Are you supposed to say that? I'm supposed to be unbiased, and I'm supposed That's to right. say what's actually going to happen. I don't work for the WNBA, and I don't work for the Sky, so i got to say what's up. I appreciate that. Hey, yeah. great seeing you, and uh, we're definitely going to have you back on the show. I would love to come back. You know, Even if the Cubs make the postseason, you're a White Sox girl, though. I'm, I, I don't know whether I should have you on or not. I mean, you, you, know, you don't have North Side in Listen, your blood. Listen, I'm unbiased. If you want an unbiased voice, yeah, have me on the number. Of course I do. Okay, Absolutely. there you go. That's all you need to know. I love it. All right. Uh, enjoy, enjoy your work tonight. And next time we see you in Vegas, make sure that we uh, we hook up and I can give you some uh, some food spots in Vegas. I would love that. All right, good I deal. I would love that. Thank Thanks, you Annie. so much. Appreciate it. Andy Costable, the uh, fine beat writer for the Chicago Sky, and also uh, covers everything here in Chicago as well. The Bulls, the NBA, Major League Baseball, and more. Uh, always fun talking with her and to give her a chance to, to speak to our audience in Las Vegas. All right, a little sweet home Chicago. That's where we're at. No doubt about it here on this thunderous Thursday edition of the T.C. Martin Show. One down, one to go. we got more in store around your door, more of what you're looking for here from Chi-Town. Come on, baby, don't you sun is shining in Las Vegas, Nevada. Hello again, everybody. This is Harry Carey. That's the most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. Live. Bryant sends one a deep left way back. It is gone. A three-run homer. In the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was. It's the T.C. Martin Show. to get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh, my goodness. That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. T.C. Martin. Way back in my feet. It's a big Cubs win. Cubs win. Cubs win. Oh, the Cubs. Look at left fielder. He has the ball yet. He has that one. And here comes the Cubs out on the field. is now in. Live from Chicago, hour number two of the T.C. Martin Show. Glad to have you with us. And we're leading up until Aces and the Sky here at the Trust Arena. Beautiful facility here on the, uh, kind of say, the south side of uh, Chicago near McCormick Place. And uh, great restaurant options as well, as we talked about a little bit uh, earlier. And uh, we get into hour number two. We are going to talk some NFL preseason, some handicapping. We'll talk some Major League Baseball and a whole lot more. Matthew Holt will join us at the bottom of the hour. And uh, we'll talk some college football, college realignment, all of that, and a whole lot more. But, yes, 101 degrees in the Windy City. And it's windy as well, too. It's crazy. 101 excessive heat warning. And all those years that I lived in Green Bay, and I would come down to Chicago, especially in the summertime, to see the Cubbies, never 
have I dealt with 101. I would barely deal with 95. Crazy. And today, uh, Chicago officially surpassed 100 this afternoon before the heat index. First time we've had a genuine 100 day since 2012. Only the eighth since 1947. That comes from my on-the-spot weather reporter. <laughs> oh, Courtney from uh, Marquee Sports. Look at that. Carly, I knew that. Jeez, H- horrible. Now I feel horrible. Just talking about I'll go, going on the fly here. Um, but I got to give myself credit because I did uh, nail Annie's last name, Costable. And she was so happy that I nailed it. So, you know, Carly Bell... I'm sure it's about as American as it gets, probably. (laughs) So I get no points for that. Speaking of as American as it gets, our good friend Scott Spritzer joins us each and every Thursday. Our handicapper extraordinaire. He's back in Vegas. Scott, what's going on, brother? I'm doing all right. It's about 100 degrees here, too, but it's probably about 60% humidity there, and we got no humidity out here, so uh, you know how that goes. 60% I humidity? I remember those days. Carly, what is, what's the humidity here? It's, i got to say it's got to be more than 60%. Oh, man. All right. See, I'm putting her on the spot now. You know, but i, I got to know. When, when, you have, when you have these uh, things on your phone that says excessive heat warning, okay, yeah. it's only 46. It only feels like. 90, uh, 90%. Yeah, I, I, I remember those days in June and July in the Midwest, and it'd be 90 degrees and 75% humidity, and you get out of the shower, and you dry off, and you got to get back in the shower because you exerted yourself by drying off with a towel and got all sweaty again. I mean, I remember those days. So, yeah, I mean, not 101 too often, but uh, wow. That's crazy. We just leave Atlanta, and it's you know upper 90s there, and of right. course very humid. And we come right. right to Chicago, and you see, oh, it's going to be 101, and you know 46 or 50 percent humidity. It's like, wow, what kind of road trip is this? You know. And then, <laughs> next stop, Washington D.C. Before you bring it back to Vegas. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, brother. Um, let's talk about the breaking news uh, from today with. Uh, I call him your guy. Shohei Otani is being put on the shelf from a pitching standpoint for the rest of the season. Otani with a torn UCL tear. That is an elbow injury to speak in layman's terms. Um, too bad because, as we know, what we've been seeing from him, uh, and you've quoted this for the last few years, Scott, You know what we're seeing with him is just unprecedented from a pitching perspective and a hitting perspective. But there are going to be those guys that say, well, see, this is why no one's done this, you know, since Babe Ruth, because it's, there's too much wear and tear, you know, on his body, specifically his elbow. Um, what are your thoughts as you, as you hear the news today about Otani being shelved and what, you know, what do you, what, where do you think the cause came from? Yeah. And, and people are, you know, right a little bit when they say, you know, see, nobody's ever done this. Nah, man, nobody's ever done it because they can't. <laughs> Come on. Right. Nobody gets out there and throws like Otani and strikes out 15 batters every six innings and, you know, keeps guys from scoring and goes up and hits 320 and leads the league in home runs. It's because he's from another planet. And obviously, you know, he's got this UCL injury. I did see a little bit ago where he said he's going to continue batting and DHing. Uh, for the halos the rest of the way. Um, you know, so it's just one of those things. I mean, you know, UCL should be cleared up, but doesn't mean it's going to be, you know, for next season and, and beyond. Uh, what are you going to do? I mean, it's one of those things, you know, but uh, the greatest player in the history of baseball, you know, and hopefully he'll be able to fix that UCL so he'll be able to go and do in another location what he's done uh, with the Angels over the last few years. 
the one thing that I repeated on a on a show yesterday when we were talking, it was when he was just brought off the field and was had a trainer walking next to him. So we didn't know yet what the problem was. And and I was saying, you know, even if he's okay, if he's a hundred percent yesterday after getting looked at, that if you're a middle of the pack baseball team, don't go out and pay six hundred million dollars for the next ten years for Shohei Otani. Uh, and that's not a knock against Shohei Otani. I still think he's the greatest athlete baseball player we've ever seen. And I, I say that don't do that because one man, as we've seen the last few years in baseball. Even two men, Trout and Otani, are not going to get you to the promised land if you don't have pitching. He's, he's one man. He's not going to go out there and pitch every day. And so if I'm the Dodgers, you know, the Giants maybe, um, the Mets, teams like that that already have a solid base to potentially win 90 games, I might go after Otani. But not if I'm a team that's, you know, hovering around 82 or 81 and 81, you know, playing 500 baseball as the Angels are. He's not going to get you there because it's not a one-man gang. And, again, he could be your number one as a pitcher. He can be your cleanup guy at the plate. He can lead off at the plate. He can steal your bases like crazy, hit 45 home runs and bat 310. But you have to have pitching. And the Angels, when's the last time this team had pitching? I mean, starting rotation or bullpen. And, you know, when Reed Detmers is now your best pitcher, you got issues. And so I just think of all these teams who are going to buy for his services the teams that can afford to pay him $60 million a year or thereabouts, they better already be in good shape when it comes to the starting rotation of the bullpen. You asked me last time, uh, what, uh, Mark Langston, that team, uh, going way back, Nolan Ryan, those teams. I mean, you're right. And, and here's the thing with Artie Marino, and you know, we've talked about this, you know, going way back when, years and years ago, when, when Trout came over, and then, you know, re-signing Trout, and then when Otani came over. It's like, it's not like they didn't have their opportunity to sign, you know, other right. pitchers. And then you give a boatload of money to Anthony Rendon, another guy who's just been so injury-prone since he came over from Washington, had a couple good years there. But it's, it's really uh, sad for Angels fans because they've had every opportunity to – to get free agent pitchers, but really, you got to look at their farm system. I mean, it has been dreadful for decades, Scott, where they just have never had uh, great talent coming up, specifically pitchers. So it's, it, 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 it's, it's yeah. on them. It, it, it's, it's, poor it's really it's poor ownership. It's poor front office. I mean, really. I mean, besides those two guys, I mean, it's a dreadful organization. And, and you know what, um, well, you know, the young shortstop, that's why I'm spacing off his name right now. I watch his team every night almost. Um, the young shortstop who's there now is, is incredible, and he's going to be something, a heck of a prospect. But you're right, as a whole, you know, they got nothing when it comes to pitching and, you know, down on the farm. And also, you know, when, this, when they really dug themselves a hole that's almost impossible to get out of within a decade of doing it was the Albert Pujols signing. Yes. I'm a huge Albert Pujols fan. He's one of my all-time favorites. But when the Cardinals are willing to let him go when he wants that money, you know, and, and, you know, this has been an off year for the Cardinal organization, but they always used to say the Cardinal way. Hey, if the Cardinals are going to let Albert Pujols go because they don't think he's worth giving him that bump in salary, why the heck are you going to get him when you have no pitching? And so they dug themselves a hole with that big contract to Albert Pujols when he wasn't the type of player who, you know, could warrant a contract anywhere close to that. And so that's where I really think they got themselves in a ton of trouble. I think they were in a little trouble before that. That put that really dug the hole. And it's tough clawing out of that hole because, you know, of what they did with I mean, Rendon again, there was another player. 
you know me. I, I, I grew up a Cardinals fan. Don't want to say that too loudly in Chicago. But I grew up a Cardinals <laughs> fan in the Midwest. And then I became an Angel fan out here, too. So I've got two teams. And that was when Mike Sosha was manager. I'm a big Mike Sosha fan. So anyway, I watched this team slowly erode in the late, I'm going to say, aughts, 2008, 2009, and into the early uh, teens. And it was all because of these dumb moves. And going out and getting a guy like Anthony Rendon. Anthony Rendon had the great season, the World Series for the Nationals. But I'm like, really? You're going to pay this guy? You don't need this guy. Go out and use that money on two pitchers. Maybe one for the pen and a starter. You know, and so they just make mistake after mistake. And now, as you mentioned, I think Rendon has missed more games than he's played in, right? Since he's been an angel. Oh, no so question. collected that paycheck. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Now, this come uh, the news you know today uh, about Otani also uh, comes on the heels of Mike Trout going back on the IL for uh, the rest of the season. So Mike Trout will not play again, and there was this hope, you know, at least from the Angels front front office saying, "Hey, we're going to try to keep Otani," and we talked about that at length. Uh, hopefully, they can make a run because they went on that little bit of a run, but. Uh, you know they've gone to the tank since then, and now probably the smart thing to do is to shut Trout down. Even though he came back off the IL, uh, tried playing a game or two, and they said, "Nap, uh, enough is enough." So, yeah, if you're going well, their to desire to play, you're talking about like Trout, you know, wanting to come back, and, yeah. and Otani wanting to continue playing, you know, at least DHing, um, and and you know, it's one of those things where that just shows their competitive nature. And I really thought that they should have just told Mike, get ready for next year, right? you know, take it easy, and not try to bring him back, although, again, it's his wish to come back. And then you have Otani, who there's been a couple of times over the last month we've seen the blister issue, finger issue, velocity being a little bit down for a chunk of a game that he starts. And I kept thinking, man, you know, and when they went like, what, it was like 2-10 and 10 out of the blocks after the trade deadline, I'm like, they're, they're out of it. They're not going to get there. And I would, if I'm one of those front office guys, and I – get it, what Otani brings when it comes to crowds, souvenirs, the money they're making off of Otani. I get it that they wanted him to keep pitching if he felt like he could do it, but I was also sitting there going, this guy needs to shut it down as a pitcher because, you know what, he deserves a shot at that big contract next year. And everything he's done, which is superhuman from what we're used to, he deserves to go into this offseason healthy with no question marks. And, of course, he wants to pitch because he's an ultimate competitor. But I was, I was thinking like three weeks ago, man, shut him down. It's over. Your season is going nowhere, and it's time to let this guy rest up, do what he can with the bat, and, uh, which is a lot, and just let him rest up that arm for the offseason. So there's no question marks. So it's, it's tough, man. I'm a, as you know, I'm a huge Otani fan. I'm a huge Mike Trout fan. They're two of my favorite players of all time. And, and I'll go on record and say that Shohei Otani is the ultimate best baseball player that's ever played the game. You know, and, and unfortunately, you know, his pitching could be, should be, cut, could be cut short, the pitching part of his career, if he continues to have issues that flare up over the next year or so. Where do you think he ends up? And then I'm going to throw this question as well. I can answer them both. Where should he end up? Yeah, I'm, you know, it's funny because I'm, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of who I've got my money on. But taking that out of the equation, just being a fan and having knowledge of watching these games as you do, TC, um, I'm not a big fan of the Dodgers, but I would love to see him end up there because I want him on the West Coast. And the Dodgers have the money, of course, to make this happen. I'd love to see him go to the Dodgers also for the fact that he might be able to get to a World Series with the L.A. Dodgers. Um, so the Dodgers, the San Francisco Giants, kind of in the mix. 
Seattle potentially. Mm-hmm. Seattle's the best team in baseball at this moment, you know, for the last month. Seattle could be a place. I've heard the Mets, I've heard the Yankees, I've heard the Red Sox. And, you know, he could very well end up in any one of those three spots. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to end up with L.A. or San Francisco. I, I do. And uh, where I would want to see him play would either be, well, for selfish reasons of being able to jump on the freeway in four hours down the road, being able to see him at Dodger Stadium. Uh, so that's a selfish reason. But I hope he ends up with either the Dodgers or the Seattle Mariners. And both teams could make that happen. But yeah. I think he's going to be a West Coast guy. They're going to be Dodgers, Giants, or Mariners. I think it's going to be one of those three teams. Yeah, it's interesting you, you say that because that, that's my sentiment. It's exactly I think that the Mariners are a legitimate uh, dark horse here. And I know they're, you know, again, when you're looking from a cultural standpoint, uh, it's a great spot for him to land. Of course, a lot of people will say, you know, that, um, you know, Ichiro was there and look at the fan right. base that they had there. And that makes, uh, it makes a lot of sense. His home run numbers will probably come down, you know, he, you know, trying to hit in that ballpark. But here's the key reason why I say Seattle, Scott, and it's not really proximity at all, but it's because of the pitching. All right. Scott Spritzer joins us. Uh, we're talking a little Major League Baseball here. Uh, talk about Shohei Otani. We talked about the uh, Mike Trout and the Angels, and again the disappointing season that uh, the Angels are having uh, right now. Um, more breaking news uh, coming your way uh, today as well, Scott. Steven Strasburg retires. Now wow. this is this is a guy that uh, you know has had all kinds of injury issues, and this guy has not pitched in a year. Think about this. He had one start last season, and that was it. Severe nerve damage, and uh, Steven Strasburg is going to hang it up. He's going to retire. Kind of sad. Uh, yeah. a, a guy that I, I got a chance to know a little bit, you know, when he was with the Nationals. Uh, shy guy, quiet guy, good family guy, and he was always battling something and finally, he just said, you know what? Enough is enough. I just can't continue to go through this rehab. And he just, he just can't get fit. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's too bad because, you know, we remember this guy coming out of high school and that he was going to be this phenom, uh, and he was. And I think when you go back and you look at Steven Strasburg's career, you know, much further down the road, you're going to look back and say, ah, this guy, you know, not going to call him a bust, but you're going to say this guy really didn't live up to it. But if you really examine what he did when he was healthy, he was phenomenal. This was an absolute shame, and I didn't even hear about this until you just mentioned it on air, uh, that he's calling it quits. And, and you know, it's funny because I, I happen to know somebody that knows Strasburg and said exactly what you did. This, this is a great guy. You know, this is a good dude. And you want to see those guys, those kind of guys with those kind of personalities who are cool in the clubhouse and everything else kind of quiet, goes about his business, doesn't cause an issue. You hate to see those guys when they also have, you know, next-level elite talent all of a sudden have something beyond their control happen, and we don't get to see them at their very best for very long. It's a bummer. You know, I mean, I, when this guy came out, I thought, man, he's got a few 20-win seasons, you know, at least capable of that coming up over the next decade, and we never got to see him, you know, fulfill that potential. So, yeah, it's a bummer, man. Again, you hate to see the best talented guys, the elite pitchers, elite players at any sport that end up having things cut short, not reaching that full potential because of things that are out of their control. And here's the thing, too. Um, no one's going to feel sorry for Steven Strasburg, 
and it's really not his fault uh, no. that the Nationals are you know paid him so much money. But you got to remember, he just signed. When I say just. I mean it was uh, you know in in 2020 a seven year deal that. Uh, that is going to continue to pay him. It was a seven-year, $245 million deal. Listen to this. He's going to continue to receive payments through 2029. And I know what you're going to say, Scott. Same thing that I said when I when I read this today and heard about it. Is this Bobby Bonilla all over again? Yeah. <laughs> Think, I'm going to run these numbers at you here. He's going to receive $35 million each year through 2026. And in 2027... 2028 and 2029, he's going to get $26 million. This is a guy that only pitched 31 innings since he signed this contract extension in 2020. And you know what I say? More power to him. Yeah, right. Seriously, if you can make it happen, and of course, you know, he wasn't pulling on a fast one or anything. You know, he expected right. to be around for a while, and obviously the ownership did also. But if you know, if you you know, if they want to pay that kind of money, more power to the player who goes out and gets it. And if you do get injured, again, that's not on you, man. You know what is on you is how you perform, how you act in the clubhouse when you're able to play. And if he goes out and is a bust, and I'm talking about no injuries, but goes out there and can't find the strike zone and can't get swings and misses, you know, and all of a sudden goes bust after he signs a big contract, then I get a little bit, you know, ticked at a player who signed that big contract. But when it's beyond their control, you know, more power to you. Glad you got it. Go enjoy it. Do the Bobby Bonilla thing, and, uh, and good for you. You know, and again, he's a, he's, I've never heard one bad thing about Steven Strasburg, so it's kind of cool to see that he's going he's gonna to get his, even though he got injured. All right. All right, let's talk a little NFL preseason uh, football here, my friend. Uh, we're heading into the, the final week, you know, week number three for – most teams, just about everybody. Uh, first of all, how have you been doing in the preseason? Have you been uh, taking it kind of light, easy, very selective? What's been your MO? I'm up a couple of units. I've had five plays, and last week, when I say big play, it's not relative to the regular season. You know what I mean? It's it's more closer to what you play when it comes to it's preseason football. Wait, they're, they're, what you're saying? They're not aces plays, is what you're saying? Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. You know, it's I had uh, San Francisco last week, the Niners, which was my biggest play of the preseason. And again, that's relatively speaking. But um, yeah, we're up a couple of units. I, I only, you know, I I, I kind of like three plays this week, but I've only put my money on two of them. Uh, one being the Steelers tonight in the first half. And if you look at what, you know, Pittsburgh has done, and there's been plenty of people talking about this today, but if you look at what Pittsburgh has done in the first half this preseason, last preseason, they're undefeated. They've won all five. They've outscored those teams by like 11 or 12 points per game. And I like them again. And they've got a great preseason. We've talked about these things in the past. A great preseason quarterback rotation. Now you got to lay a low of three and a half and up to four if you want them in the first half, but I think that's the best way to go. And I, I put a few bucks on Pittsburgh in the first half. Kind of like Cleveland this weekend, you know, but I didn't pull the trigger. Maybe I will later on this weekend, but I do like the Browns a little bit uh, this coming weekend against Kansas City. Kansas City's not going to show much. And then the other play that I have put action on so far, uh, TC, is the Houston Texans, which I jumped on this week. And I think the Texans are going to do everything within their power to go into the regular season on a winning note. 
And, uh, you know, just listening to D'Amico Ryans, their new head coach, who, of course, was a fantastic assistant up in San Francisco, you know, just listening to him talking about we still have things to work on. We've got to get tighter in the trenches, on the offensive line, on the defensive line, talking about, you know, starters potentially going through the first half of this one because they can't afford to take the time off. So I, I like them on Sunday and made a little wager on them. And, again, the Pittsburgh Steelers tonight in the first half. And, by the way, Houston – uh, they were getting three and a half when I made the play yesterday. They're down to as low as two and a half in some locales today, mostly a three-point underdog to the Saints. And uh, I think the Saints are, are you know, obviously you know, open here as a favorite because, like Houston, they've been taking this preseason pretty seriously. They won their first two games, and, you know, Derek Carr is still trying to learn this offense and, and learn his uh, teammates and everything, uh, and Carr has looked, you know, pretty decent in the preseason. And it seems like both of these teams are kind of like on par with each other where you're trying to instill some confidence in this very young football teams. Yeah, and I think this, this is one of those things where, if you look at, you know, D'Amico Ryan's being in his first season and needing to go in on a positive, I know they won their week one preseason game, then got blasted last week. And that, by the way, that's another thing I like to do in preseason, no matter what week it is after week one. If I've got a team that didn't even score a touchdown the previous week, those teams do pretty darn good in preseason play that next week. And I think that's just going to motivate Ryan's, his staff, and his players who are going to be out there to pick it up when the regulars are on the field, and they need to. And I think they need that more than New Orleans going into the regular season. All right, Scott Spreiser giving us some uh, NFL preseason action. Scott, we've got college football. I, I hate the term, but week zero – uh, yeah, yeah, I just it just drives me nuts. I mean, what you know, everything's got to be associated with number, and we ran out, and we can't. You know, it's like a coupled entry in horse racing, one and one a. We can't do that. Oh, let's go week zero. Okay, what do you think of week zero? Well, I, I think of the term as being stupid, as you do. <laughs> I got no problem with one and one a. I've said that before to people. Why can't we have a one and one a, or just call it college football? And uh, so I agree with you there. Now, as far as this week is concerned, I, I made a little wager and, and plunked some money down on Navy in the first half over Notre Dame, but that gave me a played in Dublin on Saturday morning and you know, Saturday morning Pacific time. And, and um, it's been anywhere from 11 to 12 as far as that first half number is concerned. You know, Nia Matalolo's out. We know that. Brian Newberry comes in, the former D.C. And I liked what he did. His four years as defensive coordinator here, Navy finished in the top ten and run defense in two of those four years. They've got almost the entire D line back, two back at linebacker, two starters back in the secondary. So each unit has familiarity with what they were had, what they had on the field last year. And then you got a two-headed quarterback, which is tough to prep for. One quarterback who runs the typical Navy option, another quarterback who throws the football when they need a big chunk of yardage or the potential for that. New offensive coordinator who had a fantastic ground game at Kennesaw State. And I think as far as Notre Dame, they're loaded. They got Sam Hartman out of Wake Forest to transfer in to South Bend. Um, I don't like their defense a whole lot. I love their offense. They've got great weaponry. I just think it's going to take the Irish a little bit of time to get going uh, with Hartman at quarterback with all the issues on defense. And because of that, I think Navy can hang around inside that number of 12 in the first half. I just think if Notre Dame does kick it into gear, it'll be in the second half and then they can go on a win you know, by four touchdowns and you're sweating you know, the 20 and a half, 21. So Put a little money on them, and I like a couple of the totals. I can tell you quickly this week, TC. Uh, I do believe that that Ohio-San Diego State uh, game stays under 49, and I also played over 58 in the uh, FIU-La Tech game. Both of those games go on Saturday night. 
you know, going back to that Navy Notre Dame, uh, it sounds very strange, probably for a lot of listeners, Scott, when you said that uh, Navy has one, you know, triple option running quarterback and a passing quarterback. Is that passing quarterback? Is his last name Staubach? Yeah, it's been that long, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, or, or is it related? Is it, is it Rogers' well, grandkid or what? I, but passing quarterback, I, I, I mean, he could probably throw 15 times a game. <laughs> wow, <laughs> Navy, that's a lot. Four. That's <laughs> a lot, exactly. That is a lot. Oh, my goodness. Um, let's talk a little bit about the USC-San Jose State game. I think this is kind of interesting because San Jose State is still one of these teams that has gone under the radar, and I think Mountain West fans have gotten a chance to see them over the last couple of seasons and go, wait a minute, you know, we remember when these guys were just garbage. They almost folded the program, but they gave a pretty good representation of themselves in, in bowl games the past you know, couple mm-hmm. seasons, and they're facing a USC team that obviously is hyped up here, of course, and they're number six in the country, and it's a big number. USC favored by 30 and a half. Now, I understand it's Lincoln Riley. I understand that, you know, this is USC is definitely loaded. But in past uh, years, we've seen USC not be good in these type of spots. Right. And, and, and I made this, by the way, 32, so I'm right about there okay. where the number is, and I didn't play it. But, yeah, I mean, the, the problem with San Jose State going into this year is how they finished last year. Uh, they went one and three, and the only win came against Hawaii, which was they were terrible. And they gave up, gosh, they gave up, I think it was 119 points, San Jose, in those final three games, you know, three of the final four games, not including Hawaii. And if Caleb Williams and his offense is focused, and one thing about Lincoln Riley, this guy has his team ready in week one, both with Oklahoma and now coming to USC, being here for a couple of years. They're normally his team's ready in week one. And, you know, they're going to try to get Caleb Williams' stats on fire early and continue throughout the course of this game. Bottom line is, I think they probably end up winning by 35 points. I just didn't want to lay that many points this early in the season. And plus, again, I power rated it at 32, which is, you know, if you're talking uh, a line of I made it seven and it's five, that's a huge difference, those two points. But at 32 and 30, obviously not that big of a difference. You got it. All right, Scott, appreciate the time. As always, go to DocSports.com for Scott's plays, whether it's Major League Baseball, the NFL, college football, croquet. I'm sure he's, he's, got, he's got picks. <laughs> I mean, he, he surprised me with uh, everything from KBO to who knows what else. But uh, uh, no one works harder in the business. We know that, man. And we appreciate you, as always, my friend. And thanks for, uh, thanks for checking in uh, with us today. Absolutely, and have a great game tonight. I'll be listening as I'm driving from one spot to another, and uh, can't wait to hear Boom Shakalaka. <laughs> 14 and a half is what I'm hearing. Paint. Is that right what I'm hearing? 14 and a half? Is that the number I'm hearing it back is. home? It is. It's uh, currently, as I punch it up here on my line service, it is 14 and a half. Uh, I can tell you real quickly that, uh, yeah, nobody's moved off it. One book has 14 minus juice, everybody else at 14 and a half. This is the first time this season I've had four games to choose from, and I've passed the entire uh, WNBA slate. So I just didn't like anything today. But I'll be rooting for the Aces as normal. There you go, brother. Appreciate the, uh, appreciate the time. Take care. Take care, TC. Yep, my man Scott Spritzer, DocSports.com. All right, we come back. Matthew Holt will join us. And Matt has just been making quite a name for himself uh, with his company, uh, U.S. Integrity. And uh, it's a guy that uh, I've known a long time, and he was in the sports book industry nice. for all those years. And uh, uh, we're now at th- now he is uh, doing a fantastic job with his company, representing all of these different conferences from an integrity standpoint. 
and uh, just signed in the last two days uh, the Big 12 Conference as well as the Mountain West Conference uh, to uh, his company's uh, portfolio there. So we'll talk to him about that regarding some college football and conference realignment. And then uh, we'll also give you a little bit of the Aces victory in Atlanta and specifically close the show with the Asia Wilson highlights of a record-setting performance. Hi, this is Lonnie Jordan from The Band War, and you are listening to T.C. Martin. And now I forgot what he told me to tell you. (laughs) He's lying to you all. He's lying. Back here in Chi-Town as we're leading up to the aces in the sky here tonight, 5 o'clock with a tip-off, 4.30 with the pregame show down the dial. Uh, Tonight's action is going to be on our Vegas Golden Knights station. That's uh, 98.9 FM, 1340 AM. And again, 4.30 Pacific time with the pregame show. Becky Hammond will join me as well as Jackie Young. And again, uh, talking a lot about Asia Wilson's record-setting performance. 53 points, not only uh, breaking and setting her own franchise mark, but tying the WNBA mark of 53. Join us now. It's been a while. Our good friend, Matthew Holt, U.S. Integrity. Brother, what's going on? I know you have been busy. You've been a bit busier than me. TC, I'm doing the uh, Collegiate Southeastern Tour, buddy, and uh, it is hot and steamy down there. Just got back from doing Alabama, Georgia, and LSU, and I am not used to that humidity. I know. I just got back from Atlanta myself, and now in Chicago, record-setting day, uh, Matt, 101 today with 46% humidity. How's that? In Chicago. Yeah, that keeps you nice and wet all day. Yeah, it does. It does. All right, brother. First and foremost, congratulations. You've been doing a fantastic job, and I want to I always want to give you praise because I know how hard you work in taking this company from basically ground zero to uh, bringing the integrity to all sports, especially the collegiate level, uh, and signing all of these conferences that uh, you're monitoring now. And just over the last couple of days, uh, you signed the the Big 12, the Mountain West Conference. I mean, you've had the SEC, the Pac-12, and so many others. Uh, just talk a little bit about this whirlwind ride and, uh, you know, how it's been your M.O. to to sign these conferences and and, and tell me you, what you're pitching them on. Well, I think what we've seen, TC, is, is you know, everyone focuses on match fixing or game manipulation or maybe even misuse of insider information when it comes to integrity issues. But if we look back <clears throat> starting in March this year, just from like March to, to now in the last five months or so, what we've seen is over 150 cases nationally of players getting suspended, banned, or, or arrested. How receptive are these conferences to being educated about these things? And have you noticed, Are do you get a lot of these you know, people that are presidents or athletic directors, are they kind of naive to the whole gaming situation? Well, I think they've been a lot more receptive recently, TC. When you look at the Iowa State situation and over 100 student-athletes there, um, you know, having some type of illicit sports betting issue, and then University of Cincinnati and Alabama and all the NFL players this summer. This summer and spring has, has opened up a lot of eyes, and people are taking it much more serious. And I think they're understanding that sports and sports betting have collided and will never be pulled apart again. 
so you can embrace it, you can engage it, you can make sure that your athletes are prepared and educated, or you could bury your head in the sand. But if you bury your head in the sand, there's a distinct possibility you end up like Iowa. And I think that's really woken a lot of people up. And, and the commitment to education from these both the professional and collegiate leagues this year has been amazing. Talk a little bit about the Iowa Iowa State situations because some listeners may not be familiar or they kind of you know forgot about that because it, it was a you know a headline there going back you know, a month or so ago, and that's part one, Matt. And the other part is how does that happen? And how do you prevent it from happening again? Well, I think you prevent it through education by letting these student athletes know that, hey, having your girlfriend, having your mom, having your dad, having your cousin sign up for a betting account for you is actually the worst thing you can do. So while the NCAA might say, hey, you're an NCAA athlete, you can't bet on anything except horse racing, uh, at the end of the day, state regulators won't come after you. If you're 21 and you sign up for the account legally under your name, tie it to your bank account, and then bet within the state confines of the state where you signed up for the account, state regulators are never coming after you. What happens is these young men and women have one of their friends or their girlfriend or their boyfriend sign up for the account, but then it's their phone and it's their bank account tied to it, And that's how they catch these folks so easily. And trust me, the state, it's not like the state investigative agencies want to go bust all these young people. They have to do it. Sports betting is a sin industry, no different than cannabis, alcohol, tobacco. You know, they're not going to let people, uh, you know, underage drink. They're not going to let underage people buy cannabis because it'll ruin it for everybody else if they do, and they know what the repercussions are if there's issues surrounding it, and they can't let underage people be sports betting. Thus, just like any other sin industry, they are going to enforce the rules extremely tightly, and I just think that at the end of the day, when you sign up for a regulated sports betting account, that's a government document. Because that sports book is a regulated entity and licensed by the government of that state, The document where you sign up for your account, that account application is considered a government document. So you have your girlfriend sign up for the account, but then you're betting on your phone tied to your bank account and your Venmo. You just fraudulently forged a government document. Going back to what you said earlier about we're not really looking at match fixing for the most part, game fixing. We're seeing athletes that are, hey, having fun in their app and they're playing, you know, an NFL player may be betting on the NBA or vice versa. Obviously, we've seen some of these things where they're betting with their own sport or their team. I get that. But we've seen this industry come a long way where they've now kind of embraced the betting and the leagues you know, uh, now have marketing deals. Do you think they should be as harsh on these athletes that are betting on cross sports, not their own sports? Well, cross sports, maybe not. And we have seen a lot of restrictions loosen. Like people always say, why did we see so many incidents this summer with the NFL, but not with the NBA? Because the NBA, like the NFL, says you can bet on other sports. Like you you said, vice versa. NFL players can bet on the NBA. NBA players can bet on the NFL. The difference between those two leagues right now is NFL players can't bet on the NBA from team facilities, hotels, the actual uh, stadiums and arenas and practice facilities, even team planes. 
where the NBA just says, okay, if you're an NBA player, you can bet on NFL. We don't care where you do it from. Maybe the NFL needs to revisit that part of the rules. Um, because I do agree, and we saw the NCAA came out May 2nd this year, 2023, and loosened their stance and the punitive repercussions on collegiate athletes who bet on sports that they did not play. So a college basketball player betting on Major League Baseball would then receive much less punitive repercussions than they would have previously, which would have been losing their entire eligibility. So we are seeing it soften, T.C., but the one area where I don't think we can ever soften is athletes betting on their own sports, even if it's betting on their own sports, because at the end of the day, that can manipulate the outcome of a game. Matt Holt, U.S. Integrity, does a fantastic job with his company, and they are representing so many conferences and almost every professional sport right now to guard against, uh, you know, this uh, illegal betting. Matt, we'll let you go. We appreciate the time. Hey, football season, it's here. And I look forward to getting you back on weekly. Hopefully uh, time allows for us to do that. Thanks, TC. Go Aces, baby. There you go, brother. Appreciate you. Matthew Holt, my guy. All right, we are live from Chicago here. And uh, remember, we got the, the radio call tonight. It is the Aces in the Sky. The Aces going for a record tonight. A WNBA history. Uh getting the 30th win of the year. They're 29-4. and four. That would break the Phoenix Mercury's record in 2014 of 29-4, uh, and four, the exact same record the Aces have right now. So it's a matter of time. The Aces set that record, and it could be tonight. We invite you to join me down the dial. Like I said, 1340 AM, 98.9 FM tonight. That's where the game will be uh, broadcast tonight from the radio side. I'm sitting next to my two great friends, Carolyn Peck and Krista Blunk, who will have the TV call tonight on the Silver State Network. So... You can watch them and, uh, and TV, and if you're out and about, then you can turn on the radio. So there you go. All right, uh, tomorrow, uh, Marco D'Angelo and Jose Vellante will be at the Westgate filling in for me. So get out there, check out that show. Always, uh, and our good friend uh, John Murray, the executive director of the Superbook, will join them as well tomorrow from 2 to 4 p.m. And then Monday, back at the studio, I'll still be gone. Getting ready for our New York game, the Aces and the Liberty on Monday. So uh, Marco and C. Wynn, Chris Wynn, will be there on Monday. And then uh, more fill-in on Tuesday with Jose Vellante. And then I'll be back on Wednesday. T.C. Martin saying so long from Chicago. We get ready for the Aces. See if they can put up victory number 30. And we are going to leave you with the record-setting highlights from Asia Wilson from Tuesday night against the Atlanta Dream, where Asia Wilson not only broke the franchise record, her own that she shared with Kelsey Plunt at 40 points, but then tied the all-time WNBA mark of 53 points that she got in the 112-100 victory between the Aces and the Dream. So we'll let you relive that as we exit out. TC saying so long from Chicago, and I look forward to talking with you next week. Plum gets it to Asia at the elbow. Wilson going to the rack for the record off the glass, and she's got it. Asia Wilson with 41 points. The Las Vegas Aces, season high in history. That's right. And by the yeah. way, the Aces have 95 points on the board. <laughs> they lead 95-76. That it was definitely a subplot. It was all about Asia. And at that point in time, this arena, rooting for the Atlanta Dream, just flipped because they knew what they were witnessing. They knew that their ticket stub was going to maybe be worth something someday here because now the countdown was how many can Asia get? 
come to Jackie. Back to Asia. Asia's got in the wing. Asia getting inside. And there's another bucket by Asia Wilson. Looked like she got fouled on the way up. And Asia's got 43. Putting on a show for the hometown. The people who came in from South Carolina three hours away. Gamecock slash Aces fans in the house tonight. 43 was not the end all. The mark, and Bell has the rebound. So Sydney Colson is in the game. Kayla George as well. Gray and Wilson. And there's another backdoor cut. Gray to Wilson. Asia's got 47. This 50 undermined. Showtime in the ATL, baby. And you can hear the crowd rooting for Asia Wilson. They said, hey, there's a 50 burger that's on the line here. Could she get to 50? Wilson going for 49. She's got it. What a performance by the MVP. Is that sending the message to Brianna Stewart, who's got three 40-point games this year? There's a long three, and that was another good by free throw. McDonald. Since Asia Wilson is now 18 for 19, 51 points. A new Las Vegas Aces franchise record. Standing ovation for Asia Wilson. Cindy Colson is going to replace her. Listen to this. In Atlanta, three hours from her hometown in South Carolina. Outstanding. And Tanisha Wright just got tossed out of the game. Yes, Tanisha Wright got tossed out. She felt that the, that foul call was uh, not deserved. But if you go back to the possession before where Asia was triple teamed, uh, even the crowd was screaming for that, that she should have gone to the free throw line. So I think the official said, hey, you know, next one we're going to have to call. And they did. And the uh, former Las Vegas Aces assistant coach to Bill Lambeer years ago uh, got tossed out of this game and was the Second, the kind of ruckus we had in a row with this uh, Atlanta Dream team with uh, Tanisha Wright because after the last game where the two teams faced off at the Michelob Ultra Arena on August the 13th where the Aces won by 21, the game got away from the Dream and the Aces blew them out here just like they did tonight towards the end. Tanisha Wright had some words with Kelsey Plum, uh, which was rather strange. And um, tonight she got tossed out of the game because she uh, didn't like the, the, those calls. And, uh, you know, again, you know, trying to take the moment away from Asia. But this night was not going to be taken away because the sellout crowd that was in attendance here tonight at the Gateway uh, Center Arena, they were rooting for Asia Wilson. And she had 51, but that wasn't the end of it. And to get thrown out of the game and take this away from Asia Wilson, guess what? Guess who's going to shoot, shoot the technical foul? Asia Wilson. Bingo. 52 for Wilson. Another one coming. Make it 53. Nothing but cotton. Asia Wilson. The Las Vegas Aces all-time single game high of 53 points. There it is. Asia Wilson. History tonight. Just phenomenal. And she joins the 50-point club tonight as she put 53 points on the board and she was 21 of 22 at the free throw line as well joins Liz Cambage who had 53 Raquana Williams 51 points 
and Maya Moore had 48. Asia Wilson right up there now with 53 and still going. We've talked about what an incredible season that she has had, what an amazing career from day number one, not only being the face of this franchise, but being the face of this league. The fastest, the youngest player to get to 3,500 points and counting. She passed up Becky Hammond as a second all-time on the on the franchise uh, career points mark. And then tonight, she blows away the mark that her and Kelsey Plum had set together at 40 points. She obliterates it, and her name's in the record book for 53 points. Just a tremendous performance by Asia Wilson.